0: In 1971, a guitar player from Massachusetts named Joe Perry met up with a singer from New York named Steven Tyler and 150 million records and countless classic rock song staples later. The band would be considered one of the greatest American rock bands in history. We are digging into the bad boys from Boston Aerosmith, covering the first part of their career, 1973 to 1979, and sharing our top 10 favorite Aerosmith songs. So, clean up those toys in the attic and get rid of the rats in the cellar. Welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Now, crank it up. As I said in the intro, we're getting into all things Aerosmith as it relates to the first part of the band's career, covering 73 to 79. So basically, we're talking about the first album all the way through Night in the Ruts. We will share our history with the band and then share our top 10 favorite tunes. Since my partner and co-host, Sonny Hollywood, Pooney is not a huge Aerosmith fan.
1: It ain't cool being no jive turkey so close to thanksgiving yeah
0: that's a whole nother issue uh <laughs> i've enlisted the help of two former grown-up rock guest and aerosmith fans first up you know him you love him from the gene simmons band the ace freely band and most recently now a part of the teutonic terror german rockers accept please welcome to the show mr phil Schaus. what's going on phil
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, guys. Good to talk to you again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Second up, he's appeared on our Queen episode, and both myself and Sonny have guested many times before on his podcast, Damn Good Movie Memories, host Brian Davis. What's going on, Brian?
3: Hey, Stephen. It's great to be back. And uh, yes, I am this, the San Francisco Bay Area in California, so I'm, I'm kind of representing Sonny in, in my own kind of way, right?
0: Yeah, but you don't have to feel like you need to represent him. He's on 50 <laughs> other podcasts at the same time, so he's fine, I promise.
3: That's a good point. That's a good point.
0: So, Brian, first up, tell us a little bit about your podcast and your radio show.
3: Sure. So, both Stephen and Sonny are, are longtime guests on Damn Good Movie Memories. And we first started doing kind of movie topics and then did about 100 episodes of those. And then we kind of ran out of ideas. And so then we started to do... Specific movies based on my huge DVD collection. So I have 30 years worth of movies, and we do it once a week. And so Stevens appeared on movies like Step Brothers. This is a fucking Catalina wine mixer. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, or Maximum Overdrive, you know, where ACDC uh, does the entire soundtrack. So it's a lot of fun. We really get in deep. It's like uh, listening to the uh, special features, you learn everything about these movies we really just have a lot of fun doing it and uh so that's my movie fix and then of course for the for the grown-up rocker listeners i think they'll be most interested in i have a radio show on every wednesday night starting at 11 p.m eastern time called the bad beat because i am brian a davis and it's on that metal station where we play hard rock and metal but it's all influenced by the blues so either we play straight up blues you know like bb king and and uh and guys like that or we'll play bands that are influenced by the blues like aerosmith or led zeppelin and uh, and bands like that so it's a lot of fun so it's every wednesday night at 11 p.m eastern time on that station.com
0: sweet and on to phil phil you got so much going on i can't even keep up with all the shit you got going on so tell us all about it you crazy man
2: yeah uh even when the work stopped I made myself busy. Guys, I'm so fucking busy (laughs) every day uh, with just projects I keep taking on. All kinds of stuff. Uh, You may have seen on my Facebook page recently, I just posted the second video from the Men. That's how you say it. It looks like Ikemen, but it's Men. It's Japanese for handsome and cool. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that's what we call ourselves. And the videos got to choose. The first one we did was... um, a take on Rocket Ride. It was Stay Inside. Baby wants the mask. Baby wants it fast. She needs to stay inside. So that was that one. So this one, I uh, got to choose. We just did a straight cover. I got to choose. I edited the video. So, of course, I put some silly things in the video. The video, I were really proud of it. It came out great. So go to my Facebook page, All ryan's or Jeremy's or Christopher's. Uh, the other guys in the band are Ryan Cook and Jeremy Asbrock, my Ace Fraley and Gene bandmates, and Christopher from Except. So Go to any of us, and you can see the video on there. So I've been doing that. I've been practicing a ton of guitar, writing, working on mutt merch, and doing all kinds of stuff.
0: Yeah. So tell the listeners uh, who aren't familiar with mutt merch because I know my my wife reps the mutt merch uh, shirts quite a bit. And so to the people that don't know, go ahead and uh, let us know what mutt merch is.
2: So mutt merch is my clothing line. If you can tell by the name, it's dog themed, and it's t-shirts for dogs and people. But it's take on rock bands. Uh, We have an Aerosniff one, Bones and Noses, The Beagles, Def Shepherd, Grateful Dane, Neuterhead, you know, and we have a ton more. Waggy Nelson. So we have a lot. Uh, If you want to check them out, the website is mockmerch.com. So go check them out.
0: Yep. And I'll put all the links to all this stuff in the show notes. So no worries. If you're driving down the road or sitting by your pool, you don't have to grab a pen. It'll be all in the show notes. All right, awesome. So before we go diving into Aerosmith, we got to do this.
1: It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight.
0: All right, it's time for this week's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. This week, we're going to feature 80s German metal band Bonfire. Bonfire. They just released their newest album, Fistful of Fire, in April. And as far as I can tell, the only original guy left in the band is Hans Ziller, the guitar player. But they're a great band, kind of a mixture of ACDC with some really catchy, hooky, keyboard riffs and courses, things like that, a little bit on the poppy side in some places, but I really like the new album. The new album's very solid. The song that I'm going to play for you guys today is Rock and Roll Survivors. So check it out. Let me know what you think on the Loud Minority Facebook page. Here it is, Bonfire.
4: the definitive hard rock band that really set the standards how do you feel about that i love it i think you know we took it to the mountain and it's still there it's, it's rhythm and blues it's twos and fours it's fucking you know you can really fuck to a good aerosmith song it's r b it's those twos and fours it's, it's the swing but it's the swing it's the jazz of it all it's... did you look at the dolls and say gee they've got a good look we should look like that oh yeah i think i mean i was in awe I loved it. David Johansson had, they used to say I was a Mick Jagger look-alike. Man, he had lips for miles. I mean, that guy could swallow the earth. (laughs) And has. Did you try to make a comeback to make money? Because you were running out? Yes, undoubtedly. Yeah? Well, you know, we're not in, I mean, you got to buy your guitar string somewhere, you know. Are you making a lot of money? Yeah. Have you made a lot of money in your day? Yeah. Yeah. Millions. You have? Oh, yeah. Where is it now? Went up my nose. I must have snorted up all of Peru. To survive the 60s and the 70s, it's a, it's a fucking miracle. You think you could have been dead? Oh, God, I was several times. <laughs> we had used drugs for so many years, it's like, you know, you you burn out the punch card, you know? I mean, you've only got so many drinks in your life. I think I used all of mine in 35 years, you know? I was looking forward to having a few sips on the porch when I get older, but I think in the cards, you know? Joe and I are the toxic twins, baby. Known as being that...
3: Be proud of
4: it? Uh, uh no. You know, uh, knowing that uh, yes, that I went through it, but know that all people uh, know it. They might think that that's the way to do it, you know, and that isn't the way. Uh, that's not the way at all because you know we painted ourselves into a major corner. Yeah, we figured it was the only thing to do is is clean up. How know? long has that been? Uh, it's been eleven months now. And how do you feel? I'm uh, still hung over a little bit. No, we're, we're doing good. We were feeling sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. Do you feel now that you can still do it without drugs? Positively better, too. Keep it up longer. It's like, you know, it's like jerking off when you're, when you're a young kid and you fir- first learn how to use that thing, you know, you go... <laughs> but the older you get, the slow, you slow down, you know, and you get into the rhythm of it and you learn how to milk it for all it's worth. And I think that's what Arismith, That's where Aerosmith is right now. I think we, we do a good job of, of fucking...
0: All right. So let's pick up the main discussion and dive into our Aerosmith history. Phil, what's your history with Aerosmith?
2: Aerosmith was my first favorite band. I mean, when I was three years old, because my older brother uh, and my only brother, Kevin, was a big Aerosmith fan. They were his favorite band. And so he's 13 years older than me. So when I was born in 75, like three years old, 78, he had all the good shit, right? He had good taste. So Aerosmith was first in his collection, right? And I don't know what it was. I mean, at first, it was the album covers that drew me in. I guess maybe because Draw the Line was a cartoon, and I loved that being three and four. And then Toys in the Attic had toys in it. Like, okay, there you go. And then I listened to the music, and it was, I loved it so much. But even beyond that, Aerosmith had these great album sleeves, right? The sleeves you pull out. And they had these collages and these tiny, tiny pictures over the whole thing. And I would take those out and I would stare at them and stare for hours and hours, listen to the records over and over, have my brother flip it for me, and then listen to it again with headphones on. And it just, they were, I didn't even know what cool was at three years old, but I was attracted to it for some reason and knew that I wanted to be a part of whatever this is. Uh, you know, you don't, know, in three, you're not like, I'm gonna play guitar. And it's like, I just wanted to be that. And they've remained a favorite my entire life. A photo of Joe Perry's why I play guitar, and they're still as important.
0: Yeah, so you talked about that in one of the early episodes of the Grown Up Rock podcast when we first got together, and I think it was probably one of the first... 10 episodes, if my memory serves me. I don't know. That was like 170 some odd episodes ago. But uh, (laughs) you talked about that picture. And for the listeners, explain which picture you're talking about. Because I knew exactly what picture you were talking about when we first talked about it.
2: There's a picture of Joe Perry with his back to the camera. He's facing the drums. And he's got his leather pants tucked into his cowboy boots, a white button down shirt tied at the midriff. And he's got two guitars on. He's got a I think it's a Les Paul. I mean Les Paul on his back and he's playing a strap. And that still is the coolest picture of anybody in the world, especially musicians. And that's why I wanted to play guitar.
0: Yeah, and that's from the live bootleg record, isn't it?
2: Live bootleg, yep.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was when, to me, that was when Joe Perry looked the coolest because he had the blonde streak in his hair and he was kind of like a. Uh, uh, he was basically riffing on uh, Keith Richards at the time. I mean, Keith used to have a blonde streak in his hair way back when. So I just thought Joe looked super cool back then.
2: He did, man. He's, uh, he's always been like the absolute epitome of cool guitar player. There's nobody that looks cooler while they're playing guitar than Joe Perry, and nobody ever will. I mean, I almost, I've always thought about putting a black streak in my hair because <laughs> <laughs> Joe had a blonde one.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So uh, when was the first time you saw the band live?
2: Pump Tour, 1990. I was a freshman in high school, and my mom let me go, even though it was during final exams. So me and uh, a senior friend of mine, Alan Peterson, went to Huntsville, Alabama, and it was Joan Jet opening for Aerosmith.
0: Nice. And uh, ever had the chance to meet any of them?
2: Uh, yeah, actually, Brian uh, and Jeremy and I got to go to one of the Vegas shows in the fall last fall and got to go meet Stephen and Joe and had awesome seats to the show. And it was just I mean, it was it was just too much. It was just too much. So great.
0: Kick ass. Brian, how about you? What's your history with Aerosmith?
3: So, first, they're in my top five favorite bands, uh, even still. And uh, they were my gateway band into like hard rock and heavy metal. And the reason was before Aerosmith, when I was a kid, I was the weird kid that all I listened to was classic blues. So, like Muddy Waters, Howlin' and Wolf, BB King, those guys. And then I listened to the 50s and 60s rock and roll. So, your Chuck Berrys, your Little Richards, Jerry Lee Lewis, guys like that. My first concerts were Jerry Lee Lewis, BB King, and then BB King again with Buddy Guy and the Fabulous Thunderbirds. And I got to shake B.B. King's hand as he was going to the backstage area. And so I'm trying to tell all these kids in seventh and eighth grade, you know, how cool this is, you know, this guy's a legend and they didn't want to hear anything about it. They, you know, it wasn't Guns N' Roses, it wasn't Whitesnake, things like that, which I, I liked, but it wasn't the same. And so Aerosmith was kind of that easy gateway, you know, definitely bluesy. They had direct influences from the guys I mentioned. And so it was just a natural fit in my expanding musical palette. So I went to Tower Records and I got the uh 1980, you know, greatest hits that had the, you know, the wings logo, the red cover. And then I was hooked. And then, you know, before the internet, your best go-to person was the guy behind the counter. And so I befriended him and he was like, Well, okay, you need to get the trifecta. Get get your wings, get toys in the attic, get rocks. And I was hooked. And so tapes were super cheap back then. So you can get you know, you can basically get the entire 70s collection for less than $20. And so that's what I ended up doing. And then eventually got Pandora's box as a gift. You know, the rest is history. They're just, you know, especially the 70s stuff, the greatest rock band, in my opinion, I know a lot of people say Van Halen's the greatest American rock band, but I think aerosmith has got to be in that discussion as well.
0: Sure. Awesome. So first time you ever saw him live.
3: So Phil Solomon and the pump tour, my first time was get a grip and it was, <laughs> it was great. Pride and glory, which was Zach Wilde's Southern rock band actually opened up for Aerosmith. So that was a, that was a pretty cool thing. And then I've, I've seen them at least 10 times uh, oh. since then. And they, they always deliver.
0: Nice. Ever got to meet any of them?
3: Unfortunately not. So, you know, hopefully one of these days, but no, not, not yet.
0: All right. Well, so now it's time for my history. So, it would surprise you guys to know that I was not a big Aerosmith fan in the late 70s and 80s. I was a metalhead who fought off Aerosmith because, quite frankly, I just didn't like the way they look. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. This was in the early 80s for me, and I was wearing studs, and you know, I didn't like the way Steven Tyler looked call me an idiot kid, Idiot, idiot. call me whatever you want. And it wasn't even the music. I didn't dislike the music all that much. I was familiar with Walk This Way and Sweet Emotion and Dream On and all those big hits that were being played at the time. But I thought they were kind of old. I thought they were kind of, you know, old news. I didn't really like the way they were looking. And you know, I was coming up on the new wave of British heavy metal and I was coming up on the Sunset Strip rock and roll bands and things like that. And so, you know, appearance was starting to become a thing, so to speak. But it wasn't until, I think, 1987, uh, and this goes a little bit to Permanent Vacation. I was working for a record distributor at the time. Permanent Vacation came out and the first song on that album Heart's Done Time was something I'd heard, and I absolutely fell in love with it. And going back to the album before that, Done With Mirrors, I remember really, really liking Let The Music Do The Talking. So they were starting to seep into me and Appearance wasn't becoming as much of a big deal to me as much as the music was. So I started going back and investigating and checking out the music. And slowly but surely, I started falling in love with the band. Well, it came to pass that a very good friend of mine was working for Tim Collins Management, who at the time was managing Aerosmith. Uh, So she set me up with tickets to a show. I met Stephen and Joe and Joey Kramer backstage, and yeah, the rest is history. I think the first time I saw the band live was on the Pump Tour as well. I want to say Jackal was opening, the concert that I saw, and I've seen them probably 10 times since then. And I think the last time I saw them was when they were with, they had Slash and the Conspirators opening up, I think uh, maybe 2016, 15, somewhere in and around there uh, here in Atlanta. That was the last time I saw them. So yeah, that's my experience, which was a little bit different path than you guys, but nonetheless, we all ended up in the same place. So it's all good.
3: Right. Awesome.
0: <laughs> all right. So we're going to go through our 10 through 6 top 10 picks. Again, we're covering periods of time that basically cover the first album all the way through Night in the Ruts. So 73 to 79. And we'll start with you, Brian. Give us your 10 through 6 and then we'll, we'll discuss your choices. Sure. Tell the people what your criteria was and, and all that good stuff as well.
3: Yeah, and I think we're all kind of in the same boat. For the most part, my list does not include big hits. And it's not that I don't love those songs, but I really wanted to present songs that are not only my favorites, but might give the casual fan a chance to hear tracks they may have never heard of or, you know, just want to give a chance now. And so a perfect example of this is the start to my list, and that is my number 10 pick, which is Moving Out, from the debut from 1973. (laughs)
1: i move out Cause the city's in. i gotta move out
3: number nine pick would be sight for sore eyes from draw the line yeah uh, number eight would be three mile smile from night in the ruts yeah number seven would be uncle salty from toys in the attic sure. and then my number six pick is combination from rocks nice oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> i don't have room
3: combination on my man i love that song so much oh my god I know, and the great part about this, I think we're all going to kind of cover so many bases that whatever we miss, somebody should should be able to pick up.
2: Yeah, oh, God, what a great riff and a great harmony. I love the harmony vocal on that. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah.
0: Well, it's an interesting choice because you had some really good ones on there. Sight for Sore Eyes was one that stuck out to me. Oh,
2: yeah, oh, God, I love that album. It's so great. Draw the line rules.
0: Uh, And Combination, I want to say, was on my outer list but didn't make it to my top 10 but i had two or three tunes from that album which i kind of wanted to put on there but just you know it was like it was like pulling teeth basically so yeah i had some good choices what'd you think of that phil
2: i like all those picks Three Mile Smile was on there. Those are great picks.
0: Three Mile Smile was one that was, um, that was one of the ones along with a few others on Night in the Ruts that I was like, "Ah, I want to put that on here. All right, Phil, you want to hit us with your list?
2: Yeah. Hey, I wanted to mention, I forgot even when I was talking about meeting the guys. I met Brad Whitford. I live in Nashville. He lives in Nashville too. So I've met Brad a lot and he kind of knows me, but I forgot Brad. So I didn't want to leave Brad out. He's the fucking X Factor. I love that guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, my number 10 is No Surprise. Good one. From Night in the Ruts. Yep. Uh, number nine is Kings and Queens from Draw the Line. Yep. My number eight is going to be Lord of the Thighs. Oh, yeah. From uh, Get Your Wings. Uh, my number seven is Seasons of Wither. Nice. From, from Get Your Wings. And number six is Chip Away the Stone. Um, now, I'm talking about the studio version that's on Jim's. that's a great, great rock and roll track. So
0: that's a fantastic song. So I should tell the listeners that none of us shared our list with each other. We wanted it to be a complete surprise. So that, that'll cause some interesting discussion, especially uh, after hearing Phil's list, (laughs) but that's, that's awesome. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned, Phil, so no surprise, it's just a cool song. I mean, I got that on Pandora's box and started listening to that. It basically, it's just a chronicle of their career, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's so Aerosmith in the subject matter. It's about them. It's about a band getting. It's about them getting their deal. Old Clive Davis and everything about it's Aerosmith. Their guitar riff is awesome. It's snotty. It's snarl, it's nasty, it snarls, and it grooves, and has everything like an Aerosmith. And I don't know why, I mean, the album wasn't a hit, but I don't know why that one isn't in this conversation more. It's a great rock song.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if you uh, mentioned, what What was your criteria for picking your top 10?
2: Oh, man, you know, it was so tough because some of these, I probably ask me tomorrow and I'll have a whole different list in a different order. Right. right? <laughs> but uh, but a lot of these, since I have such a long relationship with Aerosmith, like as a really, really young little kid, a lot of them were from like songs that I remember, my memory is shit, right? Even Especially for three and four years old. I don't remember anything but i still feel a certain way when i feel when i listen to a certain certain tunes off of the records that i listened to a lot as a kid toys rocks and draw the line i still have a really like strong connection to those so and i didn't pick any big hits again like you guys not that i don't like them probably sweet emotion back in the saddle or two of my favorite Aerosmith tunes but i didn't i wanted to kind of do other things here so
0: yeah. Okay. So I'm going to let Brian, you, uh, voice your opinion about Phil's list here in a minute, but I want to talk about your number eight. So your number eight, Lord of the Thighs off, Get Your Wings. One of my absolute favorite Aerosmith tunes. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I have a feeling that we'll be talking about this song again here in the future.
2: <laughs> yeah. The, the studio version is great. The, the live bootlegging when they stretch out the ending. Yeah. Oh man.
0: Very cool. Fire yeah brian
3: yeah there was two of these that were really tough for me to leave out one of them lord of the thighs that barely didn't make my list that is just steven tower swagger at its finest i mean it's so, so good get your wings is my favorite 70s uh aerosmith album so that, that was tough to leave off but i think i had too many uh get your wings songs so it, it didn't make it and then kings and queens man that is the ballad that everyone kind of forgets about um it just it's really, really well done, and it's kind of the odd man out on draw the line' because it's so like cocaine fueled and
2: yeah, frantic sounding, and then you've got this just incredible piece of music. I mean that whole record is great it it gets panned, but I don't know why this whole thing it's in the middle of the album too, I think, like the centerpiece of the album is this incredible piece of music that's just like has its ballad and has a heavy guitar riff and has great and this has the psycho and the whack wow thing
3: in it and yeah, it's just it's it's awesome. The, the amazing thing about them is even because Draw the Line was when they were starting to get really, the drugs weren't working as well as they were prior. But right. for whatever, they could always keep it together for their albums. And uh, and I think Draw the Line's is a perfect example where, yeah, it's not Rocks, it's not Toys in the Attic, but man, there are some some gems, no pun intended, on there.
2: Yeah, yeah, like Rocks it's when Joe was doing heroin. It's like, yeah. it's, are you, how, how do you do that? <laughs> right. But they all keep it together, man. Yeah. I can't do that sober. Well, what do you? How do you? Yeah. How do you do that? How do you not off at the, at the booth and still play a? guitar part like that you know jesus
0: i watched a great documentary the other day and uh i don't know how much some people know about aerosmith but steven tyler very famous for having this mic stand with all these scarves on it and he was saying in this documentary what a lot of people don't know is that all these scarves he had custom made had these little secret pockets in it that he would keep drugs that's right in these pockets
2: Yeah, i think he said uh, i think that the scarf he was wearing on get your wings is full of um two and alls and second alls
0: that's right (laughs) yeah (laughs)
2: yeah
0: this this is gritty bluesy sex drugs and rock and roll at its finest no doubt
2: uh they're the best at it and at this point they were just it was still great music you know
0: Yeah, all right, so it's time for my 10 through 6. Let me talk about my criteria first. So my criteria was, I didn't want to talk about all the really popular songs that most people know about. The Walk This Way's, The Dream On's, Sweet Emotions, all fantastic songs. There's no doubt about it. Uh, And I love those songs, but I wanted to focus more on some of the deeper, non-talked about Aerosmith tunes that I love. I also wanted to cover each album in this part of their career. So I made it a point to pull several songs that were my favorite from each record. And then from there, I kind of whittled it down because it would have been really easy for me to put all of rocks or all of toys in the attic as my top 10. And I'd have been fine with that just about, but I didn't want to do that. So I started off with number 10, covering night in the ruts and I had about three songs no surprise which Phil mentioned earlier that would have been one of them but I ended up going with this one because the slide is just so Joe Perry and so swampy and so dirty and nasty and I love the groove in cheesecake I just think it's super cool I went from Cheesecake to number nine, Draw the Line, and I got to go with the title track off of that. I just, I love the pumping bass line and Draw the Line. It just, it gets my blood going every time. Number eight, as Phil mentioned earlier, this is also my number eight from Get Your Wings, Lord of the Thighs. Love that tune. Number seven from Toys in the Attic. I think Adam's Apple is a cool damn tune. So Adam's Apple is my number seven. And most of the people that listen to the show know I don't really like the slower stuff, but it would have been criminal for me to leave off Season of Wither from Get Your Wings. So at number six, Seasons of Wither, absolutely awesome.
3: So you obviously like the slide guitar because you went with Cheesecake and Draw the Line. So that, oh, that's pretty yeah. badass.
0: <laughs> I can't deny it. It's it's part of who Joe Perry is. And it's just it's one of the things I love about Aerosmith is their swampy feel on almost every one of their records. They have uh, one or two tunes that has that kind of swampy uh, feel to it, and I really dig that part of it—the bluesy swamp thing. And then the other aspect of Aerosmith that I really love is their groove. Obviously, yeah. their rhythm section, Tom and and Joey, keeping the rhythm section tight as hell. So I dig that, you know.
2: Yeah, Hamilton. I, as far as musically, uh, you know the guitars get a lot of attention, but God, listening to Tom's bass lines, he does not play typical rock bass at all and joey is just a monster drummer great swing great shuffle great blues player but with like rock power it's like Mm -hmm. it's just what a a great rhythm section
3: to to have under everything one thing i wanted to ask phil and it's the elephant in the room do you like joe perry's playing which is obviously more uh loose more self-taught as opposed to brad whitford's you know like more technically sound who who is who is your go-to guy Damn, man, I, that's a hard one because they're both. So, and it's funny because
2: before you start really digging into it, you think it's Joe lead and Brad rhythm. It's like, right. no, not Brad played. <laughs> Half the solos you like, Brad played. That's right. You know, yeah, God, if I had to, I don't know if I had to, if I, if I could pick one. They're so great. And talk about two guitar players that really have different, completely different styles in the same style of music and that have different tones. Yeah. Different guitar tones different guitar styles, different approaches that just come together in like the best. It isn't like you know, Keith and Ron, they're both no. kind of the same thing, right? Mm-hmm.
0: It's apples and oranges completely.
2: Exactly. When you get two different guys like that, they can make a sound as cohesive as those guys can make. It's just like, oh, it just blends into one player. It's tough to I, pick a favorite. I think that's
3: why it works so well is because they're yeah. so, but they, they connect. They work so well together. It's
2: so good. And I remember when we did a uh, years, God, it's has been almost 10 years ago now that we did a, uh, we in Nashville. We did a show. We did uh, "Toys and Rocks" in order, back to back, both oh, records. Nice. And I remember learning those parts with Jeremy. And for a lot of those deep cuts, you can't go to YouTube and get a, a combination lesson, or you no. couldn't have the time. So we had to listen to it, and we we're like, "He's playing that riff a half step. Both they're a half step off." Mm-hmm. And it was like, "This shouldn't work." Uh uh-uh. And there were so many parts on rocks in particular where we would figure out the guitar parts and I was like, I swear it's that. And then we'd play them together and go, that's it. That should not work. It should be it should clash. Mm-hmm. But somehow it just everything was perfect. Really, really odd arrangements in rock, but really smart arrangements in rock music. Mm-hmm.
0: That's the really strange thing, is that on paper these two guitar players, Brad and Joe, they really should not work. And it's amazing how it all comes out. And I, I just don't, I don't see Aerosmith with any other two guys in the band working. It just, I don't get it. Uh, those two were made for each other. So it just interesting mixture of musical technical ability.
3: And as good as Jimmy Crespo was, who you know, of course, filled in for Joe, yeah. you know, towards the end of the seventies, he's great. But yeah, there's just something missing, and uh, and obviously it's that connection they have because everyone's tried to you know mimic Aerosmith, especially in the eighties. You know, whether it be your L.A. Guns, even Guns N' Roses and everything, and uh, it just it's not the same. Like Guns N' Roses probably came close with Slash and and Izzy, uh, yeah. but that didn't last long either. So
2: yeah, he had a lead and a rhythm guy, and for two lead to have two coexisting lead guitar players in a band like those guys and have them be as different. It's just, yeah, it might be, I'm going to be hard pressed to find another group like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Know? Hey, Phil, you're friends with uh, John Carabi. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Have you ever heard him do season of wither on acoustic?
2: Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. God, he does. It great. He does a great, he can cover Aerosmith very well. He's not doing a Tyler impression, but as his voice is very suited for those songs. So yeah, man, he's done chip away at the stone with us and draw the line we've done with, with Krabi. So he always sings those. He sings them great. and His seasons on acoustic is fantastic.
0: Yeah. Really, really good. He's done that a few times on the monsters of rock cruise. And it's just, I love it. Every time I could listen to him sing the phone book, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's, He's one of those guys for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So right here, we're going to take a few minutes and take a break and we'll get right back at it. Aerosmith invites you on a permanent vacation.
5: Saturday, April 30th, live in Freedom Hall, the Derby Festival Jam with Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Back, back to redefine hard rock's new standards. Aerosmith. In concert. In Louisville. The legendary Aerosmith.
1: Aerosmith
5: with special guest, White Lion. Preserve seat tickets now at Freedom Hall. All ticket draws, including this Jockey, Select Movies Tonight, Louisville Gardens, Calhoun Records and Jefferson Mall, and the Commonwealth Convention Center. Saturday, April 30th in Freedom Hall. Aerosmith. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. Produced by the Kentucky Derby Festival.
0: So hopefully you guys are enjoying this Aerosmith Top 10 episode. We don't ask for much from our listeners, but we do always appreciate you sharing our podcast with others in social media or just by word of mouth. It's free and it helps us grow our audience. Growing our audience means reaching more people with the word of rock and roll. It also means getting better guests. Anything you guys can do to help us out there, it's always appreciated. The other easy thing that you guys can do to help support us, which, by the way, is also free, is go to the Apple Store or Podchaser and leave us a five-star review. Leave us feedback. Tell us honestly if you like something or you don't like something and why. We love to hear from you guys, and we pretty much read everything. So, help us out. Talk to us. Last but certainly not least is join our Loud Minority Facebook group. It's a private group that I designed for the podcast where we share new bands ideas about the podcast itself and whatever else music related we can talk about. It's a pretty positive discussion. We don't get into a lot of drama in the group and uh, everybody is pretty nice to each other. Thanks for everyone on our Loud Minority group and those of you that are currently sharing and supporting us. We appreciate each and every one of you. Uh. All right, so let's come back into this discussion. We will get our five through twos, and then we will all give our number ones at the end. Let's start off with Brian.
3: All right, so we were just discussing the great chemistry between Joe Perry and Brad Whitford. Well, this is definitely a highlight for Brad Whitford for my, my number five pick, and that is from Rocks, and that is Last Child. As funky and sleazy as it gets, they still perform it live. And it's really a showcase for Brad and absolutely adore Last Child. Number four, I'm going to Get Your Wings. And it is same old song and dance. It is so good. That intro riff just gets me. I love the sax solo in the middle. It is so good. And uh, if people didn't know, it's uh, Dick Wagner and Steve Hunter who do the guitar solos, which is very interesting. Uh, Number three, we're going back to Get Your Wings. And the best cover that Aerosmith did, and they've done a ton of good covers. I think people think that don't know the history think that's their song, but it's Train Kept A Rollin'. Probably the biggest hit uh, that I have on this list. And then number two is, uh, again, back to Brad Woodford. He co-wrote this with Steven Tyler. Huge riff. If you don't think Aerosmith's heavy, take a listen to Round and Round. Good list. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Great list. Big fan of round and round. I've always loved that tune. Not the rat round and round, but round and (laughs) round by Aerosmith. And it is a very cool tune.
3: Hey, rat covered walking the dog, which of course Aerosmith covered, but still. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's no doubt that rat were big Aerosmith fans, especially Piercy.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, and, and Warren Demartini,
0: yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great list for sure.
5: Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And, yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycon's,
0: How about you Phil?
2: Yeah, um so I, anyway I was going to say same old song and dance. Yeah, the sax solo, you forget how much they used horns.
3: Yeah. It's, there yeah. was
2: horns on a lot of albums on a lot of tunes.
0: Yeah, and then they moved to keyboard horns later on in their career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
3: they always had like great horn parts and like full like, you know, blues bands. It was very cool. I wonder if they kind of took that format, like Foreigner took that format eventually when they did Urgent, you know, using Junior Walker's sax. But, you know, Aerosmith was really doing that in the 70s. I think rock bands were more uh, reticent to use uh, certain instruments more as opposed to, you know, later when it was very synth-heavy.
2: Yeah, 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 sure. And, yeah, I'm trying to think other saxes, like groups that had sax a lot, mm-hmm. sax player. But, yeah, they always had a thing in Aerosmith. Like the Samuel song dance solo was amazing. Of course, big 10 inch. Yep. Yeah. draw the lines got some tunes with horns on it too. So, um, yeah.
0: But I think we can all agree that sax didn't become cool until quarter flash used it.
2: <laughs> That's why <because> <laughs> I, was, I was drawing a blank.
0: <laughs> you got to harden my heart, my friend.
3: Right. <laughs> well, if, you, if, if we're gonna go into movies, you, you, I'm sure you guys have seen The Lost Boys from 1987 and the sexy sax guy. So there you
0: go. I love that song, man. That <laughs> that song off the Lost Boys soundtrack. Oh man, oh,
2: that's great. And yeah, we're round and round. And, and yeah, so that one was written by Brad Whitford, and so was Nobody's Fault off of Rocks.
3: Right. That's heavy as hell.
2: He wrote those two heavy tunes. I think those are solo compositions by uh, Whitford. So. Yeah.
3: yeah, I mean, it's so heavy that Testament covered Nobody's Fault, so. Yeah, yeah, great version of that, too. They really did a good job.
0: I don't know what it is about Nobody's Fault. I love that tune, but for some reason, it reminds me of, like, Led Zeppelin or something. I don't know why, though.
2: <laughs> oh, because it's, 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 it's an octave riff. Mm. Like, uh, you know, immigrant song is going on a needle. This is da 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 da
0: Mm. Yeah. What do the volume swells at the beginning remind you of?
2: Oh, man, I don't know. But there's a, 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 so in. OK, so figuring out that's a great example of, of something that shouldn't work. So right. So Jeremy and I, because they're panned, if you put on headphones, mm-hmm. Jeremy and I would go, I do one chord real. Then you do the one real. So when we get to the ending, it's two chords, two different chords together that should not work, that you fade up on. And then the song kicks in. Mm. So that was a prime example of shit that should not work, but it comes out great.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, it sounds awesome. And I mean, it was so much, you know, it was way before like Cathedral from Van Halen and stuff yeah. like that, where he does the right. volume swell stuff. But it it is a little bit reminiscent, just a tiny bit.
2: Yeah, so cool. What a neat intro to a song. I mean, I wonder how that... And then you hear the door opening close.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Like, it's like, what a cool thing, you know, who thought of that? <laughs> they'd always put in tricks and everything. Cause if you listen to like uh, back in the saddle, there's bull whips and, and you there's pictures of Steven with like symbols on his boots that he's stomping yeah. uh, to get that effect. So yeah, they were always inventive.
2: I'll have to ask night Bob because night Bob was around for the recording of rocks and night. Bob is our uh, tour manager in front of house for ACE. Fraley. Yeah. I'll have to ask him some questions after this.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because our discussion, we can go in depth discussion on a tune that didn't even make our list. But, yeah, that's how cool it is, right?
2: Exactly. I love that. (laughs) All
0: right, Phil, how about you share your uh, five through two?
2: Five through two. So, number five, I've got Adam's apple. Nice. great. Um, Number four, I've got Uncle Salty. Those are both uh, toys in the attic. Number three, I've got draw the line. And I'm about to do an audible here, and I'm going (laughs) to rearrange my first two. So, number two is uh, no more, no more.
0: Nice. Nice. God, it's amazing and a little bit scary just how close mine and Phil's list are ended up being uh because you had you had Adams apple in your top five, which was my number seven yeah, uh, you had draw the line in your top five, which was my number nine. Uh, you had Season of Wither. I had Season of Wither as well. So, I mean, it's it's amazing. I love your list.
2: <laughs> oh, man. It's No More, No More. Is, I mean, that's about as good as you can get. The baby, I'm a dreamer part with that. The sending clean guitar part, it's just about as good as you can get in rock. I mean, it's just the songwriting at that point was just unparalleled. Nobody was writing rock songs like those guys were. Salty! Oh. What a cool song. I mean, everything's amazing. I love the the guitar solo section. It's a totally different piece of music. It's not the verse or chorus. It's its own thing, and it's. I'm pretty sure it's it's got to be Whitford in there. That mm-hmm. has to be Brad solo. This perfect. Everything is just perfect on those two records, Toys and Rocks. Just they every note was in place. Every note was right. There was nothing too much, too little. And Adam's Apple, my God, the intro riff, when he bends the string and hits the open G, that yep. it's awesome. And the riff comes in on the and. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just so cool. And it's like you're going to fall on your face. You know, trying to play it, listen to it. It's like, it's such a great, there's such great rock songs. God, nobody was doing
3: that at all. Still hasn't. They still haven't done that, you know? Well, I think this is, this is why we're proving like Toys in the Attic, especially, is a classic. Not because it just walked this way in sweet emotion, but because of the deeper cuts. So you, oh. The deeper cuts are what make a great album, like a classic album. And, and so like Uncle Salty... Totally a precursor to like Janie's Got a Gun because they're talking yeah. about child abuse. It's still got that mid-tempo. It's not a ballad, but it's like mid-tempo. And, and uh, Tom Hamilton actually uh, co-wrote that with Steven Tyler. I mean, it's it's really a great, great song.
2: Yeah, there's so many great songs. I guess my favorite record is Rocks, mm-hmm. but I guess I've got more favorite songs on Toys in the Addict right uh,
0: it's really hard for me to to uh choose between rocks and toys in the attic i go back and forth
2: kind of like rubber soul revolver thing right really it's like you just can't i mean they're both great but uh, make them a double album i don't care you know
3: <laughs> yeah fun fact about uh, adam's apple is originally called love at first bite which is why you hear that chorus first
2: bite? really yeah. cool okay
3: yeah and then they change it to adam's apple
0: that's awesome that's yeah. cool Man, all right, great list. So now it's time to go from my five to two, and uh, you talked about it in your top list. So I'm gonna talk about it now, which is number five. No more, no more. Love, love that song. And in fact, no more, no more was probably it was probably my one and two. And then when I started pulling other stuff in, I kept sliding no more, no more back a little bit. But honestly, no more no more could have been at number one or two for me it was just a decision that i made probably last minute but it's in there it's number five i love it i got to see them do this on uh the last time i saw them live they played no more no more on that uh tour with uh slash
2: and that's the that's the two guitar song
0: yeah and that's that's one of the uh that was one of the deep cuts probably the deepest cut that they played that night actually
2: uh, mm. Yeah, that's the one. Cause, Cause, the beginning, the clean, that don't, no, 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 no. That's a different tuning. The and then at the end, Joe will put the for the guitar solo. He'll put a regular tuned guitar on, so he'll kind of swing him around and do that. So that's the two guitar song. Is no more, no more.
0: And I think that's the one he uses. Uh, he's got that clear Dan. What is it? A Dan Richter? Is that the name of it?
2: Dan Armstrong.
0: Uh, the Clear Guitars?
2: Yeah, Dan Armstrong, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's the the one that one of the two guitars he uses on that, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Oh, man, those are heavy. You'd only want one of those on your neck at one time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so from number five, we go to a classic off of the debut Aerosmith record. You cannot deny this song is a quintessential Aerosmith tune, and that is
3: Mama Ken. Yep. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Guns N' Roses... Covered it. Steven Tower tattooed it on his arm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then from there, you talked about it a little bit earlier, Brian, you have to spotlight Brad Whitford with last child off of the rocks record.
2: Yeah. That could have been on my list too. I absolutely love every part of that song.
0: Last child has that, really heavy funk that i absolutely love from aerosmith that nasty nasty groove i just i can't i can't get enough of it i love the delivery of the of the lines it's just it's kick ass and everything about that song says aerosmith to me
2: i'm unplugged with the guitar here i wish i had uh, i was plugged into something but the coolest part, the thing that makes that whole thing, particularly the verse and the, the pre-chorus is coming together, is Whitford's guitar part. Because Whitford didn't play in, I think he's, Mike playing the riff in the studio, he was playing these, like, funk jazz chords. Mm. Like that, really, like, just... better Yeah. And then he does this weird part during the pre-chorus. And uh, yeah, people forget about that part and they just play the riff, the main riff only. But man, that's a great part that's only like there one eighth of the time. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, it's also kind of a bait and switch song because it starts completely different than where it goes. Cause it starts with that like, almost falsetto vocals and then oh, gets into okay. this sleazy rock song from hell and and yeah. you know they definitely we know they influenced so many 80s rock bands and others but i think they even influence rappers and hip-hop because of steven Tyler's vocal delivery i'm not just talking about walk this way i mean last child he's basically rapping yeah, you know, yeah he, it's he, great yeah you're totally right he, he always
2: had that even beyond the walk this way thing completely yeah yeah
0: yeah it's kind of amazing that they weren't more sampled back in uh in the 80s and 90s, you know, from some of the newer rap acts coming out.
3: Yeah. Yeah, especially yeah. Joey, Joey
2: Kramer's drumming, you know? Yeah, and you could sample that. <laughs> you could sample that
3: forever, right? And that would be a great uh, beat. Absolutely. More yeah. more than Billy Squire, man. Yeah,
0: most, <laughs> I was going to say most of the rappers <laughs> focused on Billy Squire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so that brings me to my number two, and my number two is just a barn burner. Absolutely love "Rats in the Cellar" off of Rocks. Nice. Can't get enough of it. So good.
2: That was the deepest cut they played in, at, uh, in Vegas.
0: Oh God, I would have loved to seen that. <laughs>
2: rats. Yeah, they played. They played "Rats in Vegas," and yeah, that was great. So yeah, that was cool. Love that tune.
0: Yeah, so that's that's my five through two. I'm proud of it. I could bring another two or three in there, but for now, today, that's how it falls. Mm -hmm. All right, so that that brings us to the end of this part of it, which uh, we have to give our number ones. So I guess I want to play each one of these number ones. So do we want to start with you? Uh, Tell us what your number one is, why you picked it, and uh, let's, let's play
3: it. Okay, I guess that's me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess me. I didn't call you out, did I, Brian? <laughs> that's yep. all right. I, I, speak, Steven. I understand. There you we go. Won't, we, won't, we
2: won't break the circle. We'll keep the we'll keep the order going. Circa, <laughs>
0: circle of trust. Thank you, boys.
2: <laughs> You're
3: welcome. So my number one, uh, it's "Seasons of Wither" from uh, "Get Your Wings," my my favorite '70s Aerosmith album. And, and don't get me wrong, "Dream On" classic rock masterpiece. I love it. But for me, Seasons of the Wither will always be the pinnacle of why Aerosmith is, is one of the best bands ever. It's a perfect ballad that doesn't come off as cliche. And I think bands eventually, eventually felt like they had to write a slow song on an album, but it felt forced. And Seasons of the Wither never feels forced. It's completely organic. It's melancholy, but it's beautiful. It's all wrapped up in one. And I love the story about how Steven wrote the song. It's just perfect. It fits the vibes. Joey Kramer found a guitar in the trash. Steven picked it up. It was all messed up. But the tone that came out of the broken guitar came Seasons of Weather." And so we keep talking about how certain things shouldn't work for 70s Aerosmith, but it does. And, you know, Aerosmith would eventually get tons of flack from rock fans that, about their ballads later in their career. But in the 70s, their ballads were second to none. And, and for me, Seasons of Weather" is, is the best and, and definitely my number one pick for 70s Aerosmith.
2: It is a fantastic song all the way around, great melody, the chorus is fantastic it's it's a it's a chills up the spine song for sure, absolutely,
0: yeah, and I think that that completes the circle with season of wither because I believe that that is the first song that all three of us had picked that's right yeah,
2: I think we all had that one on there, yeah, good taste
0: so yeah, so how <laughs> how can you go wrong with that and I feel the same way as you do a lot on that Brian, which is. Uh, there's just something about that song. It just goes through these different phases, and I love all the different phases. And uh, I just I seem to gravitate to this tune more than Dream On. And maybe it's just because Dream On is is played out, and Seasons of Wither is not. But uh, yeah, such a great song.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, and they had amazing ballads in the '70s. Whether it be Home Tonight or You See Me Crying. Uh, kings and queens. I mean, really. I mean, there's there's a lot you could choose from.
0: Yeah. Hey, is kings and queens is that a cover tune? No. No, it's a original.
3: I think Stephen wrote it all himself. I'm not uh, mistaken. So, Uh, yeah, I think it's a a Tyler. Yeah. I, I couldn't
0: remember whether that was one of the covers or not. All right, Phil, you are up, man. What is your number one for us today?
2: Number one. The melody is fantastic all the way through it's a it's also like a super catchy one uh the chorus is great and it was one of the ones as a as a kid like when i rediscovered these again on cd um, when i was still only you know maybe 14 i still hadn't heard these songs in 10 years and 10 years is a long time to i hear anything so when i heard them again and put the cd in, this one came on it was just like <gasps> <laughs> oh my god this is such a great sound and everything sounds so good in it from rocks sick as a dog
3: nice
2: the really tight tension harmony in the beginning the please and then the great melody in the in the verse and the chorus is so cool and it's got this really weird again with the guitar thing this weird instrumental section and it isn't a guitar solo it's these weird two guitar parts that have nothing to do with each other <laughs> <laughs> that like they go together and it's so great and it works they put it in seamlessly and come right out of it seamlessly back into a verse and it's just everything's incredible about it and it just every all the sounds are so good the guitars aren't overly dirty they're they're clean but they have hair on them they sound great and open and it's just it's a great sounding song like i also like it so much because of how it sounds on the record like the sound of it's fantastic it opens wide up and it's the only song on rocks that is in standard tuning. Everything
3: else is tuned a half step down. So I wonder if it's because Tom Hamilton actually helped write the music for that. Like it was him and Tyler. And I guess oh, Tom.
2: Uh, yeah. And I, and it's weird because it does like, and it was weird. It does lift up on that song. So mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a reason because it is higher in pitch actually, uh, even when you're hitting an E. But no, what a wonderful tune. And just, it was tough to get a favorite. It was that and No More No More. But this one kind of edged out No More No
3: More at the last minute. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Tom played rhythm guitar on that song as well. So
2: yeah, yeah. On rocks, they did flip around a little bit. Joe with bass and six string bass on "Back in the Saddle," and
3: so Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff.
0: Yeah, "Sick as the Dog" was on my outer list as well. It was one of the ones I went back and forth with. I just think it's a catchy tune, and uh, what that song's uh, about—drying out after drug addiction, right?
2: You know what? I'm not really sure. That makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah.
0: I, I think it's just getting over that drug addiction where you're in that sick phase, not that I've ever been in it, I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense, thinking of them back then, and uh, you know they were just getting into a lot of stuff, so yeah. Yeah,
0: yep. amazing song, great choice. So we've got Seasons of Wither off of Get Your Wings from Brian. We've got uh, Sick as a Dog from Rocks from Phil, and now to my number one, I have to end it with Toys in the Attic, the title track.
2: Good pick. Yeah, that was that was a tough one to leave off too. Yeah, I
0: just I couldn't leave it off. It's quintessential Aerosmith. It's quintessential hard rock. It's in your face, balls to the wall. Pardon the pun, Phil. <laughs> just, just good shit, man. I mean, I just love this song. I love the melody. I love the way he delivers the shit. It's just, oh god. So good, so good, and I couldn't leave it off my list, and so yeah, that's my number one.
3: And it keeps up the tradition of, uh, it's a great, fast song to start an album, because they pretty much did that in all their 70s albums, too. Yeah. Yeah, whether it be Make It, the Same Old Song and Dance, to Toys in the Attic, Back in the Saddle, Draw the Line, and then uh, No Surprise. I mean, that's what a great way to start an album. Yeah.
0: Man, how do you recover after that's your uh, first thing you drop the needle on?
3: Well that's I, why you get Uncle Salty next to kind of bring you back.
0: I so, know, right? Such a dynamic. I
3: love, well, I love that cymbal swell that
2: lasts like half a second before it kicks in. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, ugh! yeah. It's like a wave. It's like a tidal wave that comes and hits you knocks you over. That's yeah. a good
3: point. Again about the studio effects cuz Sweet Emotion kind of has that weird like almost like sucking noise, the shoo, you know, like they're doing it in reverse or something like that. They yeah. they were doing all sorts of crazy, crazy stuff then.
2: Yeah, they were they were they were really creative and 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 getting sounds and like just regular guitar tones and drum tones mm-hmm. and using tricks like that. You know, there's things that you don't know what they are. Yeah. They
3: were super creative. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff that, I mean, it definitely took a lot of time and effort back then you couldn't there, the technology wasn't like today.
0: I wonder how much of that is Jack Douglas.
3: Sure.
2: Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure that he had a, he played a big role in all that stuff
0: for sure. Uh, all right. Any, uh, last parting thoughts on our top 10.
2: I think everybody had a good list. I, uh, I, I had to leave Chiquita off. I love Chiquita. Oh, yes. <laughs> so many good songs.
0: We should mention that. So what just missed your list?
2: Oh, man. So Chiquita probably just missed my list. Last Child, uh, I Want to Know Why, off of Draw the Line, was a tough one to leave off. Mm. Yeah, Combination
3: was on my you know long list. But yeah, so many great tunes.
0: How about you, Brian? What Just Missed Your List?
3: I had a lot, but I'll try to narrow it down. Back in the Saddle almost made it. I love the studio version the most. That one's just, it's so good. Somebody almost made it, because I wanted to pick one from first album, and I, and I picked Moving Out because it's just, I love that, the feel of that, and it was the first song that Joe Perry and Steven Tyler wrote, but Somebody's really, really good. It's the second the second song on the debut. Somebody is, I love that song too. Yeah, and then the other one on, on the debut, One Way Street. Pure blues, it goes like seven minutes long, yeah. and doesn't feel long at all. Just just a great song. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: from my list, what just missed it was, uh, luckily, a lot of you guys covered it. So you (laughs) covered some of the stuff that was on my list. Sight for Sore Eyes was just missed my list. Somebody got that one. Three Mile Smile, somebody was uh, used that on their list. That just missed my list. No surprise, Phil, that was on your list. That just missed my list. Licking a Promise from Rocks.
2: Yep. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, God. That one, too.
0: hmm Yeah. That intro. Lickin' a Promise was really high. That just missed my list. Sick as a Dog just missed my list. Uh, Bone to Bone, Coney Island Whitefish Boy. I like that one off Night in the Ruts.
3: It's about floating rubber down the, down the stream.
0: SOS from Get Your Wings also just missed my list. Yes. Oh, yeah. Great song. So there's some good shit. So, anybody that listens to this show knows what we got going on here. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest man in the world,
1: KISS!
0: It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. All right, so it's time for our Kistore moment. So for the Kistore moment, I thought it would be fun to ask our friend Phil what he and the rest of the boys have tried to talk either Ace or Gene into playing that they haven't played in their set thus far. So Phil, what would that song be for you guys? What have you guys tried to talk the bosses into play in which they just haven't given into your, uh, your wishes yet?
2: With Gene, he was game for anything. Right, yeah. anything threw at him, he'd go, "Let's try it." One thing that he would not do is a uh, love and leave him. over and over and over to get him to do that and he just wouldn't he wouldn't bite on that one everything else he would try we even did fit's like a glove and love theme but man whatever it was love him leave him was was not happening
0: <laughs> he, and he didn't tell you why huh
2: yeah just he was like no I was like oh man it's that's like my favorite gene vocal ever what a great gene tune that is and uh but yeah yeah uh, love him leave him is what it is totally
0: I wonder if he's got a memory around that song that just doesn't sit right with him.
2: Yeah, I have no idea what it was because we just he was just like, no, we I forgot we tried to get a couple more and and a lot of them we would cover like well, towards the like the last few months we would just start like taking requests from the audience yeah. and we'd play like a second of it, maybe even a whole verse of it. Or one we did start that one one time and we may have gotten almost to the verse and he he nicked it. So <laughs> <laughs> We got really close. We got really close.
0: <laughs> How fun!
2: And as far as uh, as far as Ace, I guess uh, that would be. So I've got to have two parts to this one. One is I'm going to think of something off the solo record because we have done the solo record with him in its entirety, right? Yeah. So, and I'd I'd love to do that whole thing as the centerpiece of the show, right? Come yep. out and do some songs, do the record, and then do some more songs at the end. Agree. So, probably if we were going to do one of those, it would be I'm in need of love. Mm, yeah. love. I love playing with that one on bass too. That's a fun one to play on bass. And I love the sounds of it. So, if a non solo record, I would probably have to say Escape from the Island.
0: Really? <laughs> nice.
2: Because it, 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 you know, it'd give him a break vocally. There's no words in it. And it would be a deep cut for all the fans.
0: Now I know you guys pulled off uh, dark light on the on the Kiss cruise at one point in time, right?
2: We did dark light. I think we did it twice on the cruise, and we didn't do Escape, which I thought was weird because it was it's like wait well, you, you could take a vocal break, you know, <laughs> like, don't sing. It's like it's just a guitar, and people would go nuts for that.
0: Yeah, I don't remember that one, Curly.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. Well, I was doing a lot of cocaine then. <laughs> But yeah, I love that tune. It's cool. The fans would love it. And if, okay, here we go. That's a Kiss tune. So if we were going to pick a, a Comet song, I'd pick Insane.
0: Ah, that's mm. a good one.
2: Yeah. That was on the list for The Cruise. We just never quite made it to that one.
0: The fans would have loved to have heard that one.
2: Yeah, we that was on our rehearsal list. But we just didn't, we didn't get to that one. Yeah, that was, I had a few for Ace, but different sections of his career.
0: Yeah, for sure awesome well this has been awesome guys before we go I gotta ask you though are you guys fans of Aerosmith from rocking a hard place on through till currently
2: uh, I am definitely my favorite stuff is is what we just what we just discussed but yeah I I really i think I really like them with beers I love vacation I love pump I like some of' get a grip I like some stuff and I start to trickles down from there but I mean still I, I still like you know, jaded and things like that. I mean, they're, they're really good, cool,
3: cool songs.
0: Yeah. How about you, Brian?
3: Yeah. I mean, I never stopped. Obviously, their '70s stuff is the pinnacle, but I, the '80s, there's some real gems, and I, I think probably the Weak Link is probably permanent. But Pump It, I think, is everything. Every every bit as good as anything in the '70s, and then the '90s it got a little a little spotty. But I love honking on Bobo because I love the blues and I love their their take on the blues. And I, I actually, if they had made music from another dimension, maybe 10 songs, maybe nine songs, I think that could have been a great album as well. I think there was just too much on it. So yeah, yeah anything they put out, I'm I'm all in. I think one of the the things they should have released is the 1990 Unplugged from MTV. That, if you haven't seen that, go on YouTube and check that out. A lot of 70s stuff. It is absolutely awesome. They, they had a great Unplugged. That yes. was one of the best ones. Absolutely, and and it's it you they didn't re- officially release it, so you can see it on YouTube. But it is terrific. Some great versions of like Last Child, One Way Street. They even do a cover of uh, Let Me Two Times. So yeah, really good stuff.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I like a lot of the stuff. I I really. What bugs me most about Aerosmith currently is that they had such huge hits in the eighties with all these ballads. And so now they kind of feel like they're they have to play them, and I, it's just a bummer for me because I'm not a ballad person. I just don't I don't care for that stuff. I like the stuff on Pump and Get a Grip and Permanent Vacation and Done with Mirrors. You know, it's just straight ahead rock stuff. You know, I think F I N E Fine is great, and like I told you before, Hearts Done Time is just an amazing song. I just I love a lot of that stuff but they just got a little bit too ballady, and I I really was not a fan of music from another dimension. I I tried to like that record but
3: <laughs> I think I'm the only one that <laughs> that likes so much. <laughs> but that you know, was- I'm also a huge Errol Smith fan, so I understand that my, my point's a little biased, so yeah, that wasn't one of my favorites either. To be honest, they all can't be home runs. No, you can cherry pick off that one. That's the nice thing about playlists today. So. I just
0: I just don't want that to be their last album. That's all. I agree.
3: No, I agree with that.
0: You know, at one point in time, I know that they had talked about doing. Uh, I know Brad Whitford wanted them to do one more record with Jack Douglas and just do it old school. Like they did rocks and toys in the attic. And I honestly, I think that they have another good record in them. I would just like them to try to get that accomplished. That's all.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think they do too. And I think if they went back to doing eight to 10 songs, you know, like, like a old, like a vinyl type version that you could get some real uh, quality instead of just quantity. Yeah. I think that actually helped albums be, uh, helped albums be better because you had limited space. Exactly. Exactly. I think that look at all those Van Halen albums. They're like 30 minutes. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 30 minutes of like fire, complete. Awesome oh, fire. Absolutely. Well, and now
0: that's so uh, pivotal to me because, you know, people have attention deficit disorder, anything anyway. So, yeah. uh, you know, get in, get out eight to 10 songs, 30 to 35 minutes. I think it would be kick ass to do something like that.
3: Yeah, oh, I, yeah, especially with the way vinyls coming back. I think it's it'd be a perfect way to to get back into that. Yep.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Okay, so before we go to home, Phil, tell us uh, what you got going on, and we'll put all the links in the show notes.
2: Cool. Um, well, on uh, my Instagram page and Facebook page, I go live a lot uh, and do silly stuff and post fun things. Post uh, videos of me playing guitar in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I was out. Now doing that, I'm doing a lot of overhauling work to Mutt Merch, to the, sh- to the website and t-shirt line, so keep an eye out for that. We're also on Instagram so, and uh, Facebook and everything. Oh, and I guess I'll go ahead and announce details to come soon, but it looks like the Rock and Roll Residency's record is going to finally come out.
0: Yay. Awesome. So,
2: um, original music, uh, finally going to see the light of day. Can't give any details right now, but it looks like it's going to happen. So terrific! Yeah,
0: that's awesome. And I have to tell you, go to Phil's Facebook page so that you can see his video of working out to Balls of the Wall. I flipped <laughs> over there and saw that. I was like, "What the hell are you doing, man?"
2: <laughs> yep. I was like, I was working out and had an idea. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to demonstrate how to do the real move. It's That's the actual real move that we do.
3: So
0: it's <laughs> information. Working your quads.
3: Yep. I always said if I was a baseball player, my walk-up music would have to be Balls to the Wall. I mean, what a perfect song for a baseball hitter. You want to hit the exactly. ball to the wall. Yep. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great one. That would have been mine. Yep. <laughs> All
0: right. How about you, Brian.
3: So, of course, damn good movie memories. Steven and Sonny are often uh, guests. I hope Steven's going to be on soon for a couple movies. We'll, we'll keep that under wraps until it comes out. But uh, every Friday there's a new episode and a random movie, so you'll enjoy that. And then, of course, ThatMetalStation.com every Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern. You can hear the bad beat, which is me, Brian Davis, doing all your favorite hard rock and metal with a blues twist, just like Aerosmith.
0: As always, thanks to the listeners. Thanks to my partner in crime, my co-host, Hollywood. We will be back with another episode next week, as always, for as long as you guys are pent up and until you can get back in your cars and cruise the Miracle Miles. uh, We will keep entertaining you. Thanks again to my two co-hosts for tonight's Aerosmith Extravaganza, Phil Schaus and brian davis thank you dudes we appreciate you guys coming on the show as always
2: always a pleasure to be here guys thank you very much for having me Stephen. absolutely thank
3: you Stephen.
0: all right so that's it it's time for us to shuffle rattle and roll and play us out of here see ya
1: get ready to shuffle rattle and roll Play us out boys